Good morning and blessed Advent. Today is Monday, December 18th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. We are now just six days from Christmas Eve, and on today's program, we continue our Counting Down to Christmas with hymn 366 in your Lutheran service books, It Came Upon the Midnight Clear. But before we get into that, I just want to let you know that Thy Strong Word is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Now, they're helping bring the true message of Christmas around the world through their translating and publishing work. So do me a favor, learn more about what they do by going to their website at lhfmissions.org. Well, this morning, if you have any questions or comments about anything we have to talk about today about our hymn, feel free to email them to me at pastorboo at gmail.com. Be sure to spell it right. That's P-A-S-T-O-R-B-O-O-E at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook and send me a message there, and I'll try to get your question or your comment out on the air. But for right now, I want to welcome my guest this morning. It's the Reverend William Orr. He's the pastor of Hope Lutheran Church in St. Anne, Missouri. Pastor Orr, welcome back to the program. It has been almost an entire year since we've had the pleasure of you being on the show. Well, it is good to be back um, as we uh, get ready to celebrate uh, Christmas and uh, sing uh, a bunch of Christmas carols, including this one. Absolutely. And this is a, this is a beautiful hymn. I, I, it's one of, I, mean, I don't know if it's one of my favorites, but certainly one that I enjoy quite a bit, but uh, there's a little controversy around it, which we're going to get into later. But what is your favorite Christmas hymn? I like to ask all the guests during this countdown to Christmas, what their favorite hymn or carol is. Do you have one? What is your favorite if you do? Well, I mean, I, it's kind of hard to nail down one. Um, you know, I, you know, being we're all, you know, that that we're within the countdown, um, the last few days before Christmas. You know, I, I love O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, um, and the 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 expectation and the 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 solemn, you know, longing for for Christ to come, um, and and along with that is the the desire that the celebration would begin uh, of Christmas, the longing for the feast. Um, another hymn that I really, really love that's actually not in our hymnal uh, in the version that I prefer is Come Thou Redeemer of the Earth. Mm. Uh, it's, uh, it's a John Mason Neal hymn, um, which is actually in the English translation of, Am- of, of the work that Ambrose, of, of Ambrose, that Luther translated as Savior of the Nations Come. So it's an, alter- it's an alternate um, version. You could say it's the Anglican version of <laughs> Luther's uh, Savior of the Nations Come. Nice, nice. Well, is there anything going on that's real exciting there at uh, St. Anne during Christmas? Do you guys do anything special? Or, you know, what does Christmas or Advent look like for you guys? Um, we actually, strangely enough, um, I, I'm, I'm, Advent's actually one of my, uh, my most... Uh, my favorite season of the church year, believe it or not. Um, and the uh, connection to the end of the church year, uh, this year, we, we actually, we're observing St. Martin's Lent, uh, leading up into Advent, um, which emphasizes the connection between the last three Sundays of the church year, according to the historic lectionary, um, and the, um, 
and, and Advent proper. And that's an interesting history. And we don't, that's, that's not what this class, the, what this uh, broadcast <laughs> is about. So, yeah. Oh, I know. Yeah, exactly. We can definitely get into all kinds of stuff, but you know, <clears throat> I think Advent is one of my favorite too. Now my favorite, I guess, period in the church year has to be Holy Week, but I really like Advent probably for many of the same reasons you do because of that dual nature of both certainly counting down to celebrate Christmas, but, but that tension where we're, while we celebrate that Christ has come, we're still really anticipating his return. And, and I think that's that dual nature that really resonates with me with this season. Yeah, I would agree with that. Well, I'll tell you what, we gonna, we're going to go ahead and get into our, uh, our hymn for today. But before we do, it's a good idea to start off with prayer. So, brother, would you please pray for us as we begin? Gracious uh, Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. Uh, whose celebration uh, of his birth is rapidly approaching. We pray that you would uh, have within us the, the, the longing to hear the song of the angels um, and the desire um, that, uh, that you have had for peace among men, but first and foremost, that peace uh, would be established between you and, uh, and humanity, which happened in the, the, the incarnation and the uh, death and resurrection of your son. We pray that... Uh, that this peace which you have granted, which is the forgiveness of sins, would be rooted in, in all people, and that peace uh, could, uh, could come uh, to us in these very difficult times. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, here we are. We're going to be talking about It Came Upon the Midnight Clear, a Christmas carol written by Edmund H. Sears, who some of our listeners might be surprised to hear was a pastor of a Unitarian church in Wayland, Massachusetts. So uh, I'm going to turn it over to our guest as we explore, you know, what's the story behind this hymn? And just to get right to the point, why do we have a Unitarian hymn in our Lutheran hymnal? <laughs> uh, take us through, I guess, the history or, or the, the, the tale, the story behind it came upon the midnight clear. Well, in order to know a little bit more about the hymn, we have to start with the man who wrote it. And uh, Edmund Hamilton Sears was a Unitarian parish pastor, uh, as well as um, author, uh, and he was considered in his denomination to be very conservative. Um, and he was not in agreement with the radicals of his of his church body, uh, or even the broad church. Um, but the hymn it came upon a midnight clear midnight clear. According to the Unitarians of today, they call it the quintessentially Unitarian Christmas Carol, mm -hmm. and if um, and for good reason, um, because what we actually have in our hymnal, um, in the Lutheran service book, the last two verses, verses three and four, um, are are not what what uh, what Edmund uh, Sears wrote. Um, the original, which you can actually find in the Lutheran Book of Worship um, from the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, the Green Hymnal, um, they maintain um, the original version written by Sears, whereas LW, uh, the Blue Hymnal, and then, uh, and then also our, our, I shouldn't say New Hymnal, but the Lutheran Service Book uh, carries that one forward. Uh, so I want to dissuade anyone from thinking that this, this hymn as it is found in our hymnals um, is Unitarian. It is no longer a Unitarian hymn, um, but it is uh, firmly established as a Christological hymn and was rewritten um, because of the, um, the problems that were there. 
uh, in it. Uh, right, he because, was a poet. Uh, but I just want to I want to yeah. interject because one of the concerns about the I guess original hymn or the carol or however you want to call it is that it doesn't mention Christ at all or the birth of Christ at all. Um, no, it doesn't. So right. So, but if you look in our LSB hymnals, you go, oh wait a minute, this is talking about Jesus all over, and 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 so you explain why. And so I think that's important for people to know. And and before we even go any further, I had just actually had a ministerium meeting with the uh, other pastors of different flavors of Christianity in our area. And one of the things we were talking about is, you know, when do you kind of throw something out because of the, either the activities or the sins or the bad theology of the author? Like for instance, is something tainted just because of someone who wrote it and what they believed, even if the thing they produced is still faithful. And this is one of those things too, because if you look through, the Lutheran hymnal or really any hymnal in any church, it's going to be filled with Wesleyan hymns and Arminian Baptist hymns and Calvinist hymns. And, uh, but, but, you know, obviously they're going to be selected so that despite who wrote it and their theology, good or bad, it's going to be consistent with what we believe. But, but still, I think that's something that people may not even know. I mean, not every hymn in the Lutheran hymn book is written by a Lutheran. Right. And I think it would, you know, I mean, and if we worded, you know, there's many hymns that didn't get in, Lutheran hymns that didn't get into our hymnal um, that, you know, some people would like to bring back. Um, and those things can be, that can be handled through a supplement. Um, but I think, I think the criteria is what is the focus of the hymn? I, and, and I believe that the, the focus of the hymn, whether or not it's going to get into a, a Lutheran hymn book or not, at least, uh, is, is, is the focus on Christ. Is the hymn or the carol in this case, um, is it is it completely and utterly um, Christ centered and does it um, does it proclaim the gospel? You know, and when we have this, this is an ongoing debate today about, you know, some of the, the music that is uh, sung in some of our congregations um, that have not really gone through doctrinal review um, that that really center the worshiper on their felt needs and their emotion. Um, whereas, you know, the, most of the hymns that you'll find in our hymnal are not focused first and foremost on, on, on the human being, um, but they're focused on Jesus Christ and the gospel. And I think in the, um, in the edited version or rewritten version of this hymn in verse three and four, um, that's what you have in It Came Upon the Midnight Clear. Um, if, if it had not been changed at all, I would make I would I would agree with those that this Unitarian hymn, hymn or carol should not be in our hymnal, um, but in its changed form with verses three and four being completely and totally about Christ and His birth and the promise of salvation, um, we can with good con great confidence um, use this uh, song uh, on Christmas Eve, uh, where I where I believe that it it, it rightly uh, should be. Uh, rightly should be sung. Well, and it is it is a beautiful uh, hymn, and even in the tune of it. But going back, I kind of derailed you. You know, so we're talking about this, you know, pastor of the Unitarian Church. But yeah. um, what, we, what we see when we find hymns that are written by people with maybe heterodox theology, but yeah. yet the hymn is right, we call that a felicitous inconsistency. Sometimes they, they, they will proclaim Christ 
or or call people to faith, even if they believe that, you know, that, that doesn't matter or something. But this guy, this guy, he was kind of full of felicitous inconsistencies from what you told me off the air. Uh, take well, us back. Yeah, now and I, to, I was actually yeah. I was actually going to use that language. Um, so thank you for that segue. <laughs> he, he is um, he is a felicitous inconsistency as far as who he is. Yes, he was a Unitarian pastor. Um, he he was accused of being an evangelical in his circles and very conservative. Um, and, uh, you know, he has a, a bit of Arminian theology. And if you know anything about Arminian theology, that is the, the call to faith in Christ. Um, so to say that, you know, this man was, you know, strictly speaking, a Unitarian minister, I would say that his theology um, was not primarily Unitarian. And I would say that he probably, as a minister, found himself in that church body um, and uh, wrote this hymn from a Unitarian perspective. And you can say that it is a humanist uh, Christmas carol um, because the focus is not at least when he wrote it in the original version has very little to do with Christ. It actually is an, it's an anti-war um, Christmas carol of all things. Um, and that's found in uh, the omitted verse that we don't have in our hymnal uh, or in, and even uh, in the LBW, the old green hymnal, um, they don't have verse three in there either. Um, but you know, they omitted that one. Um, this guy, he cared about the gospel, believe it or not. Um, and when he wrote this hymn, he wrote this um, in a period of melancholy in his own life, um, a time of, of de depression. Um, he wanted peace. Uh, it's said that this hymn was written um, because he was so upset about the, the, the revolutions that were going on in Europe and the fact that uh, the uh, America had engaged in a war um, in the Mexican-American War. Uh, and he wrote this in the aftermath of that, uh, of that, of that, because he, he so longed that the people on, uh, on this earth would hear the angels singing of peace and put down their weapons. Um, so, and the, uh, I'm going to read to you, uh, the omitted verse to get this across to you. It says this, this is the original verse three, um, that is not in the, any hymnal that I found. But it says, but with woes of sin and strife, the world has suffered long. Beneath the angel strain have rolled 2,000 years of wrong. And man at war with man hears not the love song which they bring. Oh, hush the noise, ye men of strife, and hear the angels sing. So he was very much um, against war of any kind, um, which, you know, from the perspective of a, of a pastor who, and even of all pastors, you know, we, we preach forgiveness and peace and reconciliation. And, uh, this should be the, this, this should, this should be the desire of all of us that there would be peace on earth, though we do recognize that because this world is sinful and fallen, um, that there will be war. Um, but it doesn't mean that we shouldn't preach against it. That verse that he wrote, um, was very much um, a longing of a pastor who desires uh, desires peace on this world. Now we recognize as as, as pastors in the church that um, there is going to be war in this world, and yet um, and there's not going to be peace. But at the same time, um, the call of the gospel is to be for peace, um, 
And this, you know, and I, and I think that, you know, we in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, we do need to um, work on and start talking about, you know, just war um, and what St. Augustine taught about that, um, wars of defense, and, and start, start preaching about that. Um, because war destroys, it destroys um, the lives of young men, um, destroys families when they lose their sons, uh, it destroys economies. And so, you know, I mean, it's, I'm sympathetic towards this, uh, this man, Edmund Sears, who was against the war and longing for peace. And I think right now, there are a lot of pastors and people who desire that we could put a put an end, at least for a time, uh, to all of this endless war that we've been engaged in. Well, as you were already, as you were already explaining, you know, this carol's written during all that social upheaval due to the Industrial Revolution, uh, the gold yeah. rush to California, the Mexican-American War, and even though it doesn't, in its original form, mention the birth of Christ, it focuses on those angels, but what it's focusing on is what from Luke, right? Peace on earth, goodwill to yes. all those to whom he has taken pleasure, goodwill toward men. So so the, this, I, I guess I'm sympathetic too, and when you read that verse that seems to be nowhere in the hymnals, I, I guess I understand why a hymnal committee might remove it in terms of wanting to focus on the warm and fuzzies of the season. But I, unless right. I missed it, I didn't find anything objectionable in that verse. It's not, it didn't feel like there was any like bad theology that had to be kicked out. No, it's, it's not, it's not objectionable. There's nothing in it that's objectionable either. You know, the verse, I find it to just flow right from verses one and two. Um, it's, it's the fact that when you get to the original verses four and five, which are the verses three and four in LBW, that it's obvious that the focus of the hymn is not Jesus Christ, um, which is why those verses have been altered. So, but, you know, I mean, with, with the history of the hymn, I think we would be, we would impoverish ourselves, um, not to have heard that verse and know the background of it. Mm -hmm. Um. But it is, um, you know, there's this British Carol scholar named Eric Routley who says that in its original form, this hymn uh, is a little more than about, it's a little more than an ethical song. Um, and I would say that when you get to verse five, verse five of the original, that it's really just some kind of nebulous piece, almost the way that the uh, Unitarians or the, um, the um, early deists would talk about in the early 1800s, late 1700s you know, about providence, um, you know, and uh, manifest destiny. Uh, they would use generic terms. And he was not, he was not immune to this. Um, he would call, you know, the great head, he would call God the great head of the church, the heavenly master. He was very, very much, you know, riding the line there um, on the side of Unitarianism. Um, but he says this about Christ, and this is what's important about him. So, it says that his though the the hymn in its original form is Unitarian, um, his theology was intensely Christ-centered, um, and he says this: the word of God may be uttered without emotion, but he told his congregation this: while the word Je uh, while the word of Jesus opens the heart and touches the place of tears, um, he says this about and this is where you know he he. He's kind of riding the line, you know, he, I, I think he's trying not to um, reveal his Christological focus um, <laughs> when dealing with the controversy of Jesus. 
um, he believed that Jesus was the Son of God, right. um, fully human, fully divine. But he would not define the term. It says this, he says, I do not believe that any analysis in the power of man can ever reduce this to scientific proposition the mystic union between Christ and the Father. Neither Trinity or, nor Unity, neither Arian nor Sibelian nor Sicinian can ever give you such a psychology of the divine nature as to bring it, bring it all within the grasp of the finite understanding. Now, we as LCMS Lutherans would, would, would very much disagree with him on this, that you really have to define and affirm um, the, 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 the two natures of Christ. You have to affirm um, that Christ, you have to affirm the Trinity. Um, but even with him desiring not to say it, um, he was believed and called an evangelical um, by his peers. Um, they were trying to get him to go and form a new church body with some of the conservatives, uh, but he wouldn't leave. So mm. um, he wouldn't form a new Unitarian church. But, you know, I mean, in the altered version, which we're going to study um, um, going forward, um, we, we can be confident that, uh, that the, at least what we have is utterly Christ-centered. And uh, I pray um, and I hope that, uh, you know, on the, on the last day to meet this man um, and that uh, I know at the end of his life that he would have recognized, um, you know, Christ fully. Uh, and that uh, the felicitous inconsistency that Francis Pieper speaks of uh, will be found to be true in Edmund Sears. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about that quote you read, and you're absolutely right. We would disagree. I think one needs to affirm what the Bible teaches. But there is an aspect of it that I think we could agree with, and that is that no matter what system that we come up with in order to define God, it is going to be woefully inadequate in terms of who he really is. So even Trinitarian theology, which is what the Bible speaks and what we must believe, right. it's still so— it doesn't help us in in a great way really truly understand God's nature. It's just our attempts to explain what the Bible teaches. Yeah. Well, well I, a few more things. A few more things about him. He was an abolitionist, um, and he was also anti-war. Um, but you know, it's obviously he was anti-war. Um, so, all right. Well, I Sorry, was just I thinking though that as I'm looking at. Just a couple of more notes I wanted to make before we move into our break, and then when we come back from the break, we'll keep on going. But the hymn was set to uh, Carol, which is a tune written for the poem that same year by his request. Um, that was written by Richard Storrs Willis. And, yeah, uh, I have a little bit about him. Yeah, what what do you um, have on him? Anything? Uh, well, Richard Storrs Willis, um, you know, at 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 Edmund Sears' request, wrote the tune wrote the the tune carol um and you could argue that you know it if there was ever a christmas carol that uh that that is that is completely and totally you know a carol it would be this tune now what's interesting about richard stores willis um is that he studied under felix mendelssohn uh the great lutheran mm -hmm. composer so there is there is a lutheran uh, connection to this hymn um, at least um, as far as the, the carol uh, and the, the, the author of the tune is concerned, uh, he studied under Mendelssohn. 
So well, there you go. Yeah, we have a small small Christian world here. Well, I tell you what, folks, we're going to take a break, but don't go anywhere because when we come back, my guests and I will keep on going and we'll dive into the actual text of our hymn as it appears in the LSB. We'll see you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back, dear listeners. I'm Pastor Phil Boo. I'm your host, and this is Thy Strong Word. With me this morning is the Reverend William Orr. He's the pastor of Hope Lutheran Church in St. Anne, Missouri. And we're counting down to Christmas by contemplating Christmas hymns according to the scriptures. This morning, we've been exploring the hymn, It Came Upon the Midnight Clear. But before we head back into that, I just want to remind you again, you can email me at pastorboo at gmail.com or find me on Facebook for all your feedback, questions, comments, complaints, whatever you want to bring me, go ahead, reach out. I uh, love hearing from you. Well, Pastor, before the break, we just kind of touched a little bit on the author of the tune, but now I think it's time to get into the text of the hymn itself. Uh, I'm going to just read the first stanza, and then uh, I will proceed however you see fit. So, uh, again, this will be coming from the Lutheran Service Book, uh, page or hymn 366. It came upon the midnight clear, that glorious song of old, from angels bending near the earth to touch their harps of gold. Peace on the earth, goodwill to all, from heaven's all-gracious king. The world in solemn stillness lay to hear the angels sing. Okay, so very, very common and popular um, image of what's going on at Christmas. Take us through this first stanza. All right. Well, what I what I found here um, is that the the very first line, uh, it came upon the midnight clear, um, is based upon that little that little you know first phrase, actually connects us to Christmas Eve, connects us to um, what um, what we in the LCMS call the uh, the uh, divine service with uh, with uh, with the candlelight liturgy, uh, candlelight service, sure. um, and the midnight service, um, has within it at the very beginning, the, the, the words, when all was still and it was midnight, your almighty word, O Lord, descended from the, from the Royal throne. Now you will not find that in your, in your Bibles. Um, but you will hear that um, on Christmas Eve at the midnight service. Now at my congregation, we had, we used to have an 11 o'clock service, um, and then a six o'clock service and the six o'clock service was more directed towards families. 
mm -hmm. uh, and the 11 o'clock service. Now, I, I would disagree with the terminology, but that's what they how they would call it. And then at 11 o'clock, it would be essentially the midnight mass, um, it's a much easier way, way of calling it. Right. Um, and this is the uh, this is the liturgical text as it is listed. But I where that comes from is from the Apocrypha. In um, Wisdom of Solomon, uh, chapter 18, verses, um, let me see here, I believe, uh, verses uh, 14 and 15 of chapter 18 of the Wisdom of Solomon. Now, I don't mean to give a plug uh, for uh, our, our publishing house, but if you want to read this and find this, uh, listeners, you can pick up the Apocrypha, the, the Lutheran edition with notes uh, from CPH, and you can find what I'm talking about here. Um, and so that actually comes from the Apocrypha, and that's what comes out here from, this, from, from Edmund Sears. So there, even for this Unitarian, he draws upon the tradition of the church from the Apocrypha. Uh, so it came upon a midnight clear, you know, that glorious song of old. Okay, glorious song of old that is spoken of here, of course, is the song of the angels from Luke chapter two, um, you know, and we'll go to um, verse eight of Luke two. It says, and in the same region, there, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. So that messenger of heaven, that, that angel, brings and preaches uh, to those, those shepherds uh, the gospel uh, that the Son of God has taken on human flesh and is now breathing the air of this world. And so it continues, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Uh, now that's from the ESV translation. Um, so, but, but you'll notice here, even in verse one, he's talking about, um, you know, the song of the angels. Now, the song of the angels is the response to the gospel that the angels are are they cannot they cannot hold back any longer and they and they join that that angelic preacher if you will and they join him and they 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 praise god for his incarnation now in advent the traditional custom is to omit the glorian excelsis so that on Christmas Eve night and Christmas morning, uh, the song of the angels um, that for a time we, for, we, we, we did not sing suddenly comes back and we join the angels in singing the song of heaven um, in that liturgy on Christmas Eve and Christmas morning uh, because we are praising God for his incarnation. Now, from a worship perspective, um, in the church, you know, we sing this most of the time um, on Sunday mornings. Uh, and the how that relates to this is that we are praising God, yes, for his incarnation, but we are praising God that he is among us. 
that yes, this Jesus uh, who was born uh, of the Virgin uh, is is present here in our gathering as he promised to be. And so not only do we sing this on Christmas Eve, we sing this every Lord's Day and give him praise and all glory um, because, because he is God with us, which is, you know, Emmanuel. Well, you know, it's hard. While people say this does not directly mention the birth of Christ, this verse, which is a part of the original, certainly mentions yeah. all the things you would associate with that nativity scene. Um, we well, have, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. and and, and even yeah, the concept of Jesus being the Prince of Peace from Isaiah is evident. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Because you can't have the song without recognizing um, the incarnation and the birth of Jesus. Because that's the whole point of the song. Right. So it, it's funny because it kind of reminds me of the whole we're changing uh, BC and AD to you know CE and BCE, uh, and and it's like well you can you can try to remove Christ from the situation, but but still those things still point to an event which involves Christ. And so while we've already established that this author was uh, believed in the divinity of Jesus and, and was kind of a, a bad Unitarian. <laughs> but at the same time, even if he was trying to make it as, as a Unitarian as possible, you still, you just can't get around it. You can't get around, uh, talking about Christ. Yeah, you, you, you have, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Well, let's, let's no, it's let's, interesting. You brought up, you brought up the BC, you brought up the BC and the BCE. I saw a joke uh, online where they said, you know, you can still say BC is before Christ. Um, you know, they would say, you know, BCE is be before the common era. Right. Um, and then you can say before before Christ's era. That's and right. then CE, <laughs> CE, you can say is Christ's era. And so we, we can easily adapt. Now, I prefer the Anno Domini, uh, the Latin in the year of our Lord. But but try as they may and try as they might, they they cannot remove Christ from history. Yeah, and sometimes they're just trying too hard. You know, just look around. Look at all the uh, winter festivals. <laughs> look at all of the, yeah. you know, I've never, I've never had a problem with the word holidays. It simply means holy days. But, but still, it's, it's all of the sanitizing Christ out of it. But you can't get around the fact that, well, then if, if it's, if not for Christ, then why are we celebrating whatever we're celebrating right now? And of course, the answer is Christ, whether you believe in him or not. Yeah. Well, let's go into the second stanza. Still through the cloven skies they come, with peaceful wings unfurled, and still their heavenly music floats o'er all the weary world. Above its sad and lowly plains they bend on hovering wing, and ever o'er its babel sounds the blessed angels sing. All right, so definitely some poetic license <laughs> when we come to, you know, the description of the angels. I don't know that we exactly know what they would have looked like, but... Very, uh, I don't want to say stereotypical, because I think he's writing this at a time when the stereotypes were being established. But yeah, you know, this idea of these beautiful, peaceful angels looking down. Uh, I'm not 100% sure that was what it looked like, but still, uh, I think this gives us a message of hope. Take us through this one. Well, they do. Yeah, um, they, they, you know, the heaven, heaven breaks, you know, the, the, the realm that we cannot see breaks forth into this creation, you know. You know, the cloven skies, you know, heaven comes forth and is visible to mankind, is visible to those shepherds. You know, they are, they are scared. Um, they are scared of the angel messenger and they are scared of, of, of the angel host. 
Uh, and if you look at, you know, in the book of Ezekiel and the book of Revelation and Daniel and some of the descriptions of what angels look like, and you look at the other uh, sections in the New Testament when angels appear, um, people are genuinely afraid. But the but there's there's this common um, this common you know imagery that the angels you know they they have wings. Now, of course, you know you you have the the six winged uh, seraph. And cherubim, you know, sometimes are described as having four wings and other places too. Um, but, you know, what's interesting is they may be scary, you know, and and the angels are going to be the ones who will, um, as, as they will be the ones who divide mankind on the last day. Um, for us, they will be welcomed. Uh, for the unbeliever, right. they, they, they will run from them um, and they will have fear, but we will not. And, and, it, it's it's in some ways you have these these scary you know beings coming and what are they what are they bringing they're bringing the message of peace they're bringing the message of hope they're bringing the gospel to these shepherds you know and the shepherds you know you know they respond you know you know that's that's not in this hymn but their response to the gospel is to they heard the word and they go to see the sight uh, that was declared unto them. Um, yeah. Now, as far as the weary world is concerned, um, moving forward here, uh, the weary world, you could you could argue, you know, is, you know, talks about how, you know, the people that in darkness sat, you know, uh, Ephraim and Manasseh, the, the northern kingdom that had seen so much destruction uh, and the people of Israel taken into uh uh, they were scattered. Um, it's it's precisely to this to that group of people that that most of Jesus' ministry as uh, you know uh, took place. And so, what is promised? Um, you know that the weary world. You know, and what are we weary of? We're weary of sin. We're weary. Of, we're weary of disease. We're weary of war. Uh, we long for the better country. We long for the promised land. Um, and the only one that can bring that course is jesus christ um and so you know the weary world you know it's it's sad and lonely plains you know they bend their hovering wing you know again the imagery of of the prophets and or it's babel sounds the blessed angels sing the babel sounds of course is a reference to <coughs> pardon me genesis chapter 11 uh and, and where the nations uh they are they are you know, a Tower of Babel, um, due to their rebellion, God uh, divides them. Uh, he confuses their language, uh, and uh, it is it is to them, to this world with confused language, that the clear message of the gospel comes. And you know, not to get ahead of ourselves, but you know, on Pentecost, um, the church goes forth uh, into the confused world uh, that's suffering and is weary uh, with the message of the gospel. Um, and they they themselves, you can see at Pentecost, uh, the confusion of languages is undone uh, as a gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, so, well, picking up on that imagery of yeah. the weary world, you know that that same phrase shows up in one of my favorite Christmas hymns, which is um, "O Holy Night." But in uh -huh. there, it talks about the weary world rejoicing. Um, uh -huh. Weary world, first of all, is just a nice poetic way of saying what is something known by everybody, and that is 
if you ever encounter, and I know you do, but if you ever encounter people who are struggling with a sin, struggling with temptation, struggling with an illness, what you'll hear so often is, I'm just so tired. I'm tired of it, or I'm sick of it, which really just means I'm tired of it. I want it to stop. The world really does is kind of wearied out by sin, and we desperately want salvation. Uh, and I, and so I, that's why I really like that phrase, weary world. Well, and I, and I think that's part of, you know, that's part of Advent. You know, we, we, the whole, the Advent is about the expectation, the preparation for the coming of Christ. And Advent means, you know, to come, that is the, the coming of Christ. And so we, we long for the coming of Christ. And, you know, we do this from the perspective and inspired by the Holy Spirit that, you know, we want Jesus to come back. You know, we want to celebrate um, Christmas and not even, and not only that, um, we, we, we want to be with the Lord, right. you know, and, you know, and even once we get to Christmas, you know, it is, you know, it's a now and not yet thing, you know, we're celebrating the birth of Jesus, but we don't have the fullness of the promised land yet. Um, and yet with that, with the birth of Christ comes the, the invitation, as you can see this in the, the readings for, um, for the Christmas season, there is the invitation to remember your baptism, um, that rich language of rebirth um, in him. So though we, though we still will continue to wait until he comes again, we have the assurance of our uh, salvation uh, in the one who was born, the one who suffered, the one who died, and our baptism connects us to the living Christ, to Jesus who, who was born, who lived, preached, who healed, who suffered, who died, and was raised again, and now sits at the right hand of God. And we, we, the expectation of Advent should always be with us, should always be with us as we await um, the, the consummation of the age and the second coming of Christ. That theme of being weary and waiting for Christ to come yeah. continues in stanza three, all you beneath your heavenly load, by care and guilt bent low, who toil along a dreary way with painful steps and slow, look up, for golden is the hour, come swiftly on the wing. The prince was born to bring you peace, of him the angels sing. Very clear message that the prince of peace is the one who brings rescue. Yes. Um and you know, not to bring up the uh, the other verses, but um, it's not just some kind of generic peace. This is peace incarnate. This is the Lord Christ who has come to bring peace on earth, um, uh, and and to restore the relationship between God and man. And from that, um, the the future kingdom of peace uh, it will come. Now. With the very beginning here, it says, And ye beneath Christ's crushing load, uh, whose forms are bending low. Now, I can't help but, uh, you know, when I hear that, to think of the words of Jesus. And this is probably, I would say, in the back of Edmund Sears' mind, Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, which reads, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Um, you know, 
there is a crushing load that we bear and the crushing load that we bear that we're weary of um, are the certainly the troubles of this life but the things that trouble us in our souls and what troubles us in our souls is our own sins um, our brokenness the broken relationships um, in our own lives that though we don't we we don't desire that they be there um, they do unfortunately happen because of sin um, and it's it can make us weary and it is a it is something that can be a crushing load to us and we can be weary by these things but Christ you know he he is the one who is the answer to it and you have the invitation from Christ which you might see see here um, in Edmund Sears that that uh, that Arminian leavening that uh, the Unitarians accuse him of of the invitation to come to Christ, um, though he does not mention Christ here, um, the, you know, in his version, uh, the edited and proper and good and godly version um, does mention Christ, which is just absolutely um, beautiful. The prince was born to bring you peace of him the angels sang. Uh, that is what, that's what Christmas Eve uh, and Christmas uh, is about. It's about uh, the prince of peace coming to his people uh, to, bring, to bring forgiveness of sins. Of course, as the catechism says, uh, where there is the forgiveness of sins, there is, um, there is uh, everlasting, there is, there is life and salvation. So the word comes to us, you know, and then that brings us to Christmas morning. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The word comes to us and he um, personally brings us peace. And just to, hi can, I was gonna say, just yeah. to highlight the change that was made um, in our version, it says, look up for golden is the hour come swiftly on the wing. The prince of peace was born, or sorry, the prince was born to bring you peace of him, the angels sing. What's different in the original is instead of mentioning the prince or peace, it simply says, look now for glad and golden hours come swiftly on the wing. Oh, rest beside the weary road and hear the angels sing. Yeah, it it's is just a, yeah, it's just, just, gonna, it's just about the song. Yeah, I was just going to say, it's yeah. interesting to think of, of, it's almost like Thanksgiving as an atheist, like who, who are you giving thanks to? Who are you thankful to? Right. To say that, well, here, have a bunch of peace, but not mention Jesus is, is definitely, it, it just doesn't make any sense from a Christian point of view. No, it doesn't. And which is why, you know, there's the objection to this hymn as being Unitarian. Um, and, but our version, I will repeat this, the version that, that you will sing if your pastor picks this or the whoever is uh, planning your worship service in your congregation, if this song is selected, um, verses three and four are just absolutely beautiful poetry about Jesus. Well, are you ready to move into four? Sure. There we go. For lo, the days have come to pass by prophets seen of old, when down into the circling years came Christ as was foretold. His word of peace shall to the earth God's ancient promise bring, and all who take this gift will hear the song the angels sing. Yeah, you can't beat that. That's 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 good stuff. Yeah. <coughs> um, yeah. It it this this here you know, for lo the days have come to pass. That reminds me of of the beginning of Luke chapter two, you know, uh, where you have agenito, you know, in the Greek, which is you know 
you know, our English translations that most people have is in those days or in those days. But, you know, it can be translated, you know, and it came to pass, you know, more like the King James. So it came to pass. So this is this has come about um, what was pro what was what was um, prophesied and seen in days of old. Um, now, what is that? Now, I would say that that is a reference um, to Genesis uh, chapter Genesis chapter three, you know, and you have in Genesis chapter three, you have, you know, the, the fall, uh, where, you know, the, the very first prophecy of the coming of the Messiah is in, uh, chapter three, verse 15, you know, I will put enmity between you, meaning, uh, the serpent and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. You know, you have that seen by prophets in days of old. You know, you know that is the foundation of the promised gospel that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who became a human being. And, you know, undoubtedly, the editor of verse uh, four in our hymn uh, has that in mind. Um, and, and I think he even has that in mind when he writes uh, his version. So, you know, you have definitely have the imagery of, uh, of Luke chapter 2. You have uh, the, uh, the proto-evangelion of, of, of Genesis chapter 3. Uh, and then, uh, when down through the circling years uh, came Christ. Yes, you know, you have the angels singing this glorious song in response to the coming of Christ uh, in his birth. And that birth to reference the beginning of, the, of that verse, is to fulfill the prophecy, to save humanity from their sins. Um, and then it says, His word of peace shall to the earth God's ancient promise bring. Okay, that, that is prophetic, you know, about what I, I mentioned before. You know, when the Babel's, when the Babel sounds, you know, you know, are for a time at least by the, by the Holy Spirit, um, put aside at Pentecost, and then through the church that learns all these various languages and translates the Bible into all sorts of different translations for the sake of the for the sake of the world, for the sake of the nations, um, the message of salvation, the message of peace goes forth, and it is it is to go forth until Christ comes again, uh, when all the elect um, have come to faith uh, in Him, and and when it is time uh, for uh, for this age to end. And for the uh, the age that is to come, uh, to show itself uh, to us in the face of Jesus, and then, and all who take this gift will hear the song the angels sing. Now, that there, all who will take. Now there may you know even you know, you know we Lutherans you know we we're not Arminian, which this that little that little section there gives might give credence to that, that little, uh, taking it, uh, being Arminian, um, you know, it might be better to say, you know, and all who receive this gift, but you know, that doesn't really fit with the music, um, or at least the melody, uh, and, and we would understand it as receive this gift. Um, we'll hear the song of the angels. Now to hear the song of the angels, I would say that if you have faith and you've received the gift that is the Prince of Peace, you've received the gospel and you trust in it, then in church you are hearing the songs of the angels as we sing them. 
And as the liturgy says, you know, with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, you know, we we are gathered there with the uh, unseen hosts of heaven, both the angels uh, and the living creatures and all the saints gathered around the throne of God uh, in time with eternity joining us when Jesus is there uh, in the divine service. Um, but it is also, that's the now. But then, you know, the not yet is we are not only going to hear the song of the angels in heaven, we are going to participate uh, in, in the song of the angels with them uh, when Christ brings uh, the new Jerusalem out of heaven uh, and the new heaven and the new earth are brought about. Uh, and we, will, we shall see the face of he who is love incarnate and dare I even say um, peace incarnate, the very peace uh, that comes from the throne of God, from God the Father himself. Well, actually, I think that's a great place to end the program because we're at time, but also because it leaves us with this nice message of hope. I, I, you know what? I found new appreciation for this hymn. I hope the listeners have too. And I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend William Orr. He's the pastor of Hope Lutheran Church in St. Anne, Missouri. Thanks, brother, for coming and sharing all that you found about this hymn. Well, thank you for having me, and uh, I, I utterly, I thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, uh, participating in this uh, learning experience. Well, hopefully you'll be back before a whole nother year passes. Love having you on the show. See you later. All right. Great. Bye-bye. Folks, tomorrow the countdown continues with LSB 372. This hymn is, Oh, Jesus Christ, Thy Manger Is. What's that? You don't remember that one by heart? Well, it's a beautiful hymn, and it should be one that you commit to memory. We'll discuss it and a lot more tomorrow. So until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word.